I'm the Reverend Martin O'Connor. Father Kevin is going to talk to us about progressive Christianity. Well, if I just kick off and then you you stop being asked questions as I go along, rather than a, a diatribe. But let me start off, I guess, by saying that one of the hallmarks of progressive Christianity is a willingness to question tradition, to actually embrace and welcome questions. And I think sometimes questions in the past have been things that were confined to the universities and the seminar room. And so the few were allowed to ask questions, and the many were told those were just doubts. And I think progressive Christianity actually says, no, embrace the questions of your life. And in fact, one of the great books of progressive Christianity is called Living the Questions. And so it would be to see faith as a pilgrimage, as a journey of discovery, not as a possession once acquired. And I think, you know, if one were to ask what are the the personal qualities required of a, of a progressive Christian, certainly a progressive Christianity theologian, it would be, first of all, open-mindedness. So you are willing to inquire, you're willing to engage, and in a way you don't put down things, which is inimical to the idea of dogma and doctrine, of course, you don't necessarily put things down which are non-negotiable. That you say that, you know, I'm intellectually open to the idea that God, that the Holy Spirit will reveal things to me for which I may not be prepared, but nevertheless they may be true and therefore I I need to explore them. So open-mindedness first, then a degree of creativity. So the the willingness to to move with and, and work with new things that you've learned. And I suppose perhaps one of, one of the problems I would have with traditional Christianity, which in itself is a reflection of a traditional personality trait, my MA being in personality trait theory, is that it prefers old ideas to new ideas. And old practices to new practices, old ways are always considered better than new ways. And progressive Christianity says not so. Just because an idea is old doesn't mean it's better. And so that's also something that one needs to be willing to be, you know, work with the clay, as it were, to be creative. Work with the clay and be creative. Now, the, you, you said something there about writing things, not writing things down as dogma. And sometimes I feel that our faith is stuck in a particular point that, and questions are not encouraged. They're, we're told their doubts. And I like the, what you've said about um, progressive Christianity being a faith journey. Now, we're always told faith is a journey, but I think what you mean by progressive Christianity is a different journey. It's a journey of questioning, a journey of open-mindedness, and a journey of learning. It is. And I think anyone who's done some developmental psychology, certainly anyone who studied at a seminary, for example, would have been introduced to the work of James Fowler and faith development theory. And there it talks about various stages of faith based on psychology of people like Piaget and Erickson and so on, uh, of moving from a sort of child through to an adult. And I think the problem of the past sometimes is that the church, church authorities, priests, we're all guilty of it, have wanted to move our people through to a certain place, but no further. And I think institutions, the danger of institutions is they always want to self-perpetuate. And the church is also prone to the danger of sometimes of confusing the original and and foundational objectives of the church with itself. And so its own self-perpetuation becomes the objective rather than 
the teachings of Christ. And the institution can sometimes be in danger of wanting to create a compliant laity and ensure that they keep coming and keep giving. Whereas uh, James Fowler would say that there are further stages on the, the journey of faith beyond what, what he calls conventional faith, which is a compliant faith, which is where you, if you're a Protestant, you either treat the Bible as your rule book, that's the danger, or if you're a Catholic, you, you treat the magisterium and the bishops and the authority of the church as your rule book, and that you have your faith defined for you by others and circumscribed by others. Whereas James Fowler would say, no, we must grow past that into a faith that becomes truly internalized and truly our own as a result of our own faith experiences and life experiences. But then even further than that, that's just one stage. The next stage on is to then see resonance with other faiths and other cultures and other experiences. And so what he calls a more conjunctive phase, where we're starting to draw in and see that there is wisdom in other traditions and that actually Christianity is not the only path to wisdom or truth or to what we might call the divine. The last stage of faith, as he describes it, most of us don't want to aspire to, because uh, that's people like Jesus, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and others. We tend to kill them because they are so wrapped up in the well-being of all mankind and so less concerned with their own well-being that we look at them and can't stand them. And so we tend to assassinate them. But that's, that's, few of us can ever aspire to that anyway. But certainly, so the idea of, a, of, a, of a, a journey of faith beyond the point where traditional Christianity has often wanted to keep us, and moving past into a questioning faith that is always looking for new revelation, that revelation is an unfolding process and a, and a personal and a community process. Well, one of the things that strikes me about what you've said is when you mentioned the Bible being the foundation rule book, quite often I feel that the Bible is not taken in, it's not read in the context but which yeah. in which it was written. We, we've, we've stuck the Bible in the, the first century and tried to apply it directly. And one of the, I've come across some of the writers on progressive Christianity, like Marcus Borg, and they're pointing out the context, contextual nature of the Bible. I think absolutely critical. And I think one of the things that progressive Christians would say is that they take the Bible very seriously, but not literally. Uh, and I think it's treated with utter respect, but also to realize, and this is one of, the, one of the first lessons I teach people when we look at Bible study and so on, is to go right back to the basics and say, learn to distinguish between truth and fact, which most people think they're the same and they're not. That truth, I would see, is a, is a much bigger issue. And facts are a subset of truth, so that things that are factual are also true. But not all things that are true are necessarily factual. We can experience truth in great art, great music, great literature, in theatre, in cinema indeed recently. And we can find things that are profoundly moving and profoundly true about the human condition. But they may well be fictional. But that's okay. And indeed, perhaps a bigger truth than mere facts. I mean, the ultimate fact is the telephone book, but it doesn't have many insights for us. When you say there's a difference truth and fact, um, 
would you say that the Bible is truth, but not necessarily fact? And maybe this is where progressive Christianity differs from the traditional type as well. Well, there are some facts in the Bible, and there are truths. There are poems. There is poetic language. There's prophetic language. There, there is allegory. Because, of course, the Bible is not a book. It's a library. Uh, and the library contains, because the, the word, the Greek word, root of the word Bible means library. It doesn't mean book. And so there are many books written for many purposes. And I think we also may do it a great disservice if we think that we know what the motivation of the original writers was. And, and I think the mistake we perhaps Protestantism made at the end of the 19th century, so threatened as it was by science, that it felt it had to claim equal status, equal factual status with science, that it tried to claim inerrancy for the Bible and, and literal, uh, the status of literal fact. And it ignored the fact that, that much of the Bible was a, speculative, but also not even attempting to grasp at the facts. And the poetic language and the, and the truths that are there, I mean, Jesus is parabolic in the way he, he tells stories. He's not saying when he tells a parable that there was a man who did this, there was an actual woman who did that. He is, he's telling a story to illustrate a point. And if we allow Jesus to tell parables, why don't we allow the rest of the Bible and, and the prophets and others to do so as well? So I think that's absolutely key. And in fact, to use that sort of analogy might rehabilitate um, parts of the Bible, which have been to some extent discredited through their overuse as literalism. I think most modern Christians would accept evolution as uh, a cogent account of how life came into being, indeed how most things that we experience, most contingent things in the world have evolved, are evolving, not just the biological world and the material world, but, but society, culture, psychology, communities, they're all evolving and changing. That is, that is the means by which the holy creates. But if we look at Genesis, which has been slavishly used by creationists as a sort of this is the fact, and then we get into these ridiculous um, arguments about how old is the world, and Bishop Usher, what, from the 20s, said it's only 7,000 years old or something. What a disservice to Genesis, when actually, if we do read it in an allegorical way, then we can understand the intuitive genius of it. Um, because actually, Genesis, seen in the right light, is an account of evolution. It talks about going from a primeval, disorganized, chaotic state into higher and higher levels of sophistication. We know that mankind is a relatively recent addition, and certainly one of the creation accounts uh, has us as a later addition. The, the chaos having first been breathed over by the Spirit of God, and then land and sea separated and so on. Well, we know that was part of the evolutionary process. And so what an, what, a, what an intuitive repository of, of genius Genesis is, if we allow it to be allegorical, that actually somehow they, they almost stumbled across evolution around the campfire, and what wisdom it contains if we don't treat it as a factual account and, and try and ascribe numbers to it and so on. Yeah, can we talk about Jesus in the context of progressive Christianity for a moment? I feel traditionally 
Christians have almost sanitized Jesus in the, to the sense that they, he came to challenge the powers that be, but we have tended to see him as a personal savior who, if we followed his rules, we would get to heaven. How would that said, how would Christ, progressive Christianity look at that? Right, there's three, there's at least three things that, that brings to mind. So let's see if I can cogently argue them. First of all, Marcus Borg would talk about the pre-Easter Jesus and the post-Easter Jesus, which I think is a very useful way of thinking about it. In other words, the Jesus who actually lived, the real man, and then Jesus or the Christ, the myth that we then later created and, and is, the, is the Jesus of faith. And so there was a real man. And he lived and had certain experiences and was an exemplary man who revolutionized the world and the way we look at ourselves, unlike any other human being. So a man of, of incalculable impact. And then there's the, the Christ, which is an agglomeration of both the real man and the mythology and the legends that we've created around him. And indeed, some of the stories that have subsequently been told about him, once the gospel writers and others came to the conclusion that he was the Christ. So they, they can then go back and say that there are certain aspects of his life, even if there's no evidence that they did happen, must have happened because their world would conceive that someone as extraordinary as him must have had these experiences. So, so one has to remember that the Bible, uh, certainly the gospel accounts, were written backwards. They were written after the events. And in the case of Mark, probably around AD 70, Matthew and Luke, maybe AD 80, John even as late as 90 or 100. So these are people who are looking back 40, 60, 70 years or more to someone who they may never have met. But the, the tradition of their community has passed down. So there's that. There's also, you speak about saviour. Now, if as Christians, we, we do believe that evolution is a more cogent explanation of, of how the world has come into being. That means that whilst we see it as a, an interesting allegory upon um, evil and the choices that human beings make, the story of the fall is not an historical event. And so there was not an Adam and Eve and the temptation in the garden and the, the ejection from the garden in a literal sense. As an allegorical story about the, the, the good and bad choices that humans make all the time, that we are falling, an interesting allegory. But as an historical event, I think most progressive Christians would say no. Now, that has profound implications. So if there was no fall then there is no original sin in the way as traditionally posited. That means, therefore, we are not, that human beings are not persons who are trying to recover a once perfect state. We are not people who were once favoured and are trying to get back into paradise. If anything, Eden lies ahead of us, that the kingdom is a way of describing what life could be like were we as Christians, were the world to live not only to, as Marcus Borg, love God, but to love what God loves, which would mean each other, but also all creation. And I think that's a, a useful way of describing the kingdom, you know, to love God and to love all that God loves. 
And so the Garden of Eden as an allegorical, as a sort of mythical place, might exist in reality ahead of us, or at least some intimations of it, but is not something that lies in our past. Unfortunately, we're just out of time. I've really enjoyed hearing what you've had to say. I've really enjoyed engaging with you, and hopefully I could come back to you at some stage and we could talk about moving forward and the age of the spirit and maybe more about how we can link in with the Progressive Christian Network. So really, thanks very much for taking the time to be with us this evening and for your really challenging talk. And I thank you, the listeners, for joining us and to the studio team at Dublin South FM 93.9. So until the next time, it's good evening from Father Kevin O'Brien and the Reverend Martin O'Connor.